Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the class. Sorry I'm late, uh, but I'm glad you uh, know how to fill the time with uh, fellowship. It's awesome. I'm uh, one of my seven, eight, uh, I don't know how many minutes, I can't add it. Roman numerals, they were to throw me for a loop. Anyway, so our text this morning is 1 Peter 3, 1 Peter 3 verses 13 through 17. Uh, we're not going to make our way all the way through it this morning, but we'll at least get a good uh, meaty start, Lord willing. First uh, Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse uh, 13, and uh, follow along as I read. This is, this is God's Word. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. This is, this is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the time we have right now to open up your word and to look at it. Uh, you know us. You know our sin. You know our weakness, our shortcomings. You know everything about us. And you love us. And you've demonstrated that by, by, by giving your own son uh, to be crushed under the weight of your wrath so that we can be redeemed, so that we can be forgiven, so we can be cleansed, so we can be changed. And now you come to us with this truth uh, this morning uh, because you know us so well and you know what we need and you know uh, what we need to know. And so, Lord, we put ourselves in your hands as we open up this text, and we ask that you would teach us and equip us. And Lord, what we need most, what we need most is to see you, to see your glory. We need to see your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and we need to be enamored with him. And we need to, uh, like uh, the writer of Hebrews says, look away from everything else and fix our eyes on Jesus. And so I ask that you'd help us to do that this morning. Show us Christ. Show us our need for him. Uh, we thank you that this is possible, that you have already come to us by your spirit and you have changed our hearts. We had hearts of stone, immovable, unresponsive to your word and to you. And all that has changed by your grace because you took the initiative and you removed that heart of stone and gave us a heart of flesh. And so now we, we love you and we know you. So thank you for your, your mercy towards us. Teach us now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So in this text... Uh, Peter, guess what? He's talking about <laughs> persecution. Uh, I say that because obviously we've been going through 1 Peter for a while and every week is about persecution, it seems like. Kind of, but not actually. It's actually been about suffering and responding to people who write in the right way that wrong us. Uh, like people who are driving and cut us off. Yes. And uh, actually, I did want to ask that question because I had some reminders this morning of the need to do that because uh, these guys were driving. They were talking about it was a challenge when someone, I think it was while driving, right? Yes. <laughs> There's so many examples when we're driving and, and uh, people do things that, uh, well, they're not that very convenient. And then we think to ourselves, by God's grace, oh, instead of cursing them, I need to bless them. Instead of giving them a look that makes them at least feel like they're dumb. 
Instead of doing that, I actually need to bless them, right? Which is not, it's not the power that I have to bless somebody. That's what Peter's talking about in the passage before I was writing. Uh, don't uh, revile when you're reviled, uh, but instead bless, give a blessing. Well, he's talking about crying out to God and saying, God, would you please bless this one, right? Not our natural impulse to, to pray that God would bless the person that just cut us off. And uh, so then we think to ourselves, by God's grace, in that moment, oh, I need to bless. But then, boy, that's hard to flip that switch, isn't it? So that's my question. That's, this is our review. You tell me, how do we flip that switch? I mean, how do we get to the point where we actually can bless when someone wrongs us? And it's not just with driving, right? It's, we remember that we are sometimes dippity doos. <laughs> that's the biblical term. That's the biblical term, yes. I've never done that before. Sometimes things that other people do that will make us mad, we've been in that situation. We were the one, we're like, sorry, that was my bad. We've been that person. Okay, so we should, we should think about our own weakness, and uh, we should be humble. So be lowly, be low-minded, lowly-minded. I guess lowly is the right word, right? Lowly-minded, I guess. Uh... Okay, good. Because in arrogance is when we have a hard time blessing somebody. We want the opposite of blessing for that person. Um, so we need to be humble. What else? Pray for those who persecute you, or like the concept of praying for those that would be against you in some way so that you're in the habit of doing that, like not in the heat of the moment, but beforehand. Okay, so one thing we can do, we, we are not going to be able to flip that switch in the heat of the moment, perhaps. And so one thing to help us, uh, we want to get some oil and oil that little flipper to flip it, right? Make it easy to flip in that moment. How do we do that? This is just coming to me. Um, Recognizing that our unrighteousness is what demonstrates the righteousness of God. Uh, basically seeing that he, like... That the way that we view that person, like our sin, is that offensive to God, and even more so in light of His perfection. Yeah. All right. So that so that humility uh, that we're embracing is a humility that looks at ourselves in light of what Scripture says about our need for Christ and the cross. Um, so that we think about that on a daily basis, right? So it's not just we can't pursue humility in that moment. We probably won't be able to do that. We have to get used to being humble. We have to think humble thoughts as a, as a habit, as a pattern. Every day, we're humbling ourselves intentionally uh, by getting down low uh, before God and, I would say, confessing our sin, right? If, if we're not daily confessing our sin, then we're living in a world of make-believe. We are sinners. You have sinned against the Lord so much. We have to acknowledge it. We have to confess it. Uh, and, but then, of course, it's enjoying that forgiveness, right? Um, not pitying ourselves, but falling hard on mercy. And then uh, and praying, for, uh, praying for those that, would, uh, be, that have been offensive to us in the past um, and asking God to bless them. So that's part of the, um, the, way, the habit that we're developing, we're getting used to. So you think about people. Think about people who have wronged you throughout your life. Maybe that's the opposite of uh, forgive and forget, or we say, oh, no, we're supposed to push that stuff out of our minds. No, no, you're allowed to bring them up in order to ask for God's blessing on them. And that's actually putting off the old man and then putting on the new man, right? So go ahead, think back. Those people that have wronged you, those people who have not appreciated you, uh, they're just not shown kindness, the ones that are most, have been most irritating to you, think of them and, and, and then think about yourself, your weakness, your, your sinfulness in light of the cross, and then pray for God to bless them even as He has blessed you. And do this. Make a list and keep going through everybody. And you'll get used to thinking about people who have wronged you, and immediately the first thought that comes to your mind is, I am wicked, and I am weak, and I have been shown undeserved favor from God because of what Christ has done. So, Lord, thank you for blessing me. Now, bless this person, right? And you get used to doing that. And, and it's a whole way of life. It's a whole 
perspective. It's a mindset, right? And it's a mindset that really honors Christ um, and appreciates Christ more. So you'll grow in your appreciation of Christ uh, as you grow in your love for other people and your patience with others. And I don't think that we'll ever grow more in our patience with others and our love for other people without also growing in our love for Christ and appreciation for what he's done. Those two go hand in hand, right? Yeah. But because we're wicked, because we're weak, because we're sinful, we can't do it in our own strength. We need to focus on Christ when that happens. Yes. Yeah, good. You mentioned patience, and I was thinking of the fruit of the Spirit. Yes. Patience and self-control. We've all seen other folks that, how come they don't get upset? Yeah. You know, what's so special about them that they don't get upset? Well, they've got that patience with people and their own blessing of self-control. Yeah, yeah. That's good. Yeah. Back to the drivers. <laughs> the best thing that helps me is, um, first of all, I'm, I'm not a mind reader. Second of all, they're probably not doing it to irritate me. Mm-hmm. Third of all, they're probably clueless. I think that's a better word than I used last week. Probably clueless. They probably don't even know what they're doing. Third of all, God is graciously showing me my wicked heart. Mm-hmm. In that my first reaction is anger, mm-hmm. irritation, calling them, I'll call them a word which I think isn't too bad, but it, it, you know, I can't, <laughs> I can't, I can't, you know, level that kind of stuff. Right. So God is being gracious to me to show me my heart. And yes. Ask for forgiveness there and repentance. Like, I don't want to be like that. And in mm-hmm. biblical counseling, we learn what a habit is. It's automatic, it's natural, and there's another part. Automatic, natural, and, and comfortable. Yeah. And so God is being gracious to me. Mm-hmm. So I don't have to run with that being perturbed driving. Yeah. Yeah, that's why I said last week, I hope people are cutting you guys off left and right. So that... <laughs> All right, so this week, though, um, now we're going to switch to the passage of this week. Um, uh, boy, we know, we hear about persecution that happens around the world, right? Muslims, Hindus, people of other false religions, they hate Christ and his people, and they show it by killing Christians, by torturing Christians. We don't hear a lot about it. Of course, there's websites dedicated to uh, reminding us, bringing these things to our, to our uh, attention. And that's important because we need to pray for our brothers and sisters around, around the world. Um, people are losing their jobs, their houses, their churches, their possessions, even their lives. Uh, and this, of course, is nothing new. Throughout history, Christians have been persecuted. What's strange historically is that we aren't where we live. At least not usually in these drastic ways. Not usually in these drastic ways. Uh, as a society becomes more unrighteous, the persecution of the righteous becomes stronger. So we, we, we feel this. We see this. We, we, we anticipate uh, more persecution coming. right? And so the Lord is good to give us this book, to equip us. Um, but uh, no matter what kind of uh, I mean, we, we face persecution, but it's not uh, the drastic kinds of persecution that we see in other countries. We don't, we don't fear that we're going to lose our life today, right? This week, this month. Unless we walk in Chicago. Okay, but probably not for those reasons. Uh, Tiffany sometimes has been concerned that, you know, because I, when I preach the scriptures, I preach whatever the text says, and so I'll talk about homosexuality and how it's sinful, and so she's concerned sometimes, well, it just depends, on, especially up in New England, it's a little bit more harsh uh, where we were for 20 years, right? And, well, if you preach on this, someone's really going to get their feathers ruffled, and who knows, maybe, maybe I could end up in jail someday. Oh, she's definitely not telling me that. But, but she does pray along those lines. Um, but that's going to become more and more of a concern. 
as time goes on. And uh, we have no need to fear. We have no need to fear because the Lord says this is the way it is. And, well, we're going to see. You're blessed. So you're safe. So uh, if, you're, if you're a friend of God, that means you're an enemy with the world. Jesus told his disciples in John 15, verse 19, because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world because of this, the world hates you. When we become joined with Christ, we become joined to the one that the world hates. And so persecution at various levels in the, in the life of a Christian is normal. Uh, but it can come in other forms, right? Not just killing, not just losing your job, things like that, but slander, which is painful, right? Gossip is painful. Mockery is painful. Unkindness is painful. And uh, Peter talks about you know, the, the temptation to be ashamed, embarrassed. And we've felt that before. And that is, that is persecution when people make us feel that way. Um, and they know how to do it. Um, and all of this, of course, every time we encounter it, it's never an accident. Uh, Peter said in chapter 2, verse 21, this is your calling. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. So this is the plan of God for your life. And we, we should be awfully careful about making sure that we're not arranging our lives in such a way that we avoid what God says is to be a regular part of our lives. And if we're not facing persecution, it probably is because we've arranged our lives to avoid that out of fear. And sometimes we tell ourselves, well, I'm not, it's not really out of fear. It's because it's just not the best way to go about evangelizing. Well, what's the best way? It's the way in our minds where they go, oh, thank you. for sh- You're very kind and sweet, right? We know how to do, do it at times or in ways that even unbelievers will like. But, uh, boy, if we're being faithful, we will face persecution. So, uh, so part of his plan, God's plan, is to use his word to equip you for this calling. Um, so Peter has been talking about this to a, uh, to a point. He's been alluding to it. Uh, there's this theme of suffering uh, I'll, I'll sprinkle throughout. But at this point uh, in the letter, this is the first time Peter confronts persecution as his primary subject and begins to deal with it at length. Okay. Um, so how do we respond to persecution? Um, Peter portrays the world as a hostile world, and he's telling us how to think and how to act. Um, So I've got a lot to say before I get to the outline. You guys got the note sheet. I put it back there. Uh, If you didn't, you can go go get one. Um, And the the main idea actually comes on, I think, the back side of that page. So I'm going to talk for a while before we get to that. Because this paragraph, it's amazing. It's one of the, uh, I think it's one of the most difficult passages, probably the most difficult passage in the book. And yet it's where he announces, I think, the central thrust of the letter. Um, But uh, he begins with uh, maybe, uh, verse 13, maybe is the most difficult statement in the book. Uh, Chapter 3, verse 13, he says, Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? So I've got to talk about a couple of these verses before we get to the main point, which I think is in verse 15. Um, But verse 13, Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? So he asks a question, and when he asks a question, he's making a point. How do we know what the point is? Well, he's asking the question in a way that uh, we all can answer. The answer is obvious. We all know what answer he's looking for. The answer is no one, right? That you can tell by the way he asked the question. Who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? The answer is, is no one. But the problem is, it's hard to make sense of that. Is, is Peter really saying, if you are zealous for what is good, no one will harm you? Is that what Peter's saying? So the, so the question is, how should we understand that? It seems contrary to so much of what Peter has said in, in his letter, uh, like the verse I just read in two, chapter 2, verse 21, you've been called for this purpose, right, to suffer unjustly, since Christ also suffered for you. Um, so how, how do we understand that? If you are zealous for what is good, you will not be harmed. Some explain it as a proverbial statement. He's speaking of the way things normally are, uh, the way they, they usually work. 
Uh, normally, there is no one to harm you if you've proved zealous for what is good. And I think this is a scriptural concept. I think the scriptures do teach this. One example is Proverbs 16, verse 7. When a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Right? And, and we would teach this to our children. Uh, boy, trouble seems to follow you everywhere. <laughs> uh, do you think there's anything in you that's bringing about this, that's provoking this? And we know the answer. Yes, there is. We're trying to show this to them, right? Um, so we understand that. A lot of times we have troubles uh, because we aren't zealous for what's good. We just aren't holy. We aren't righteous. We aren't godly in the way that we act, the way that we talk. Um, so some explain this as a proverbial statement. And uh, I think that the, the, the idea is true. The, 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 it is proverbial uh, truth. Um, and I think that the, that interpretation of Peter's words is reasonable, but I think Peter does have something else in mind. Uh, Peter, in the previous paragraph, has just been talking about the good life, a life blessed by God. Not because it's, free, uh, it's a life free from suffering, but it's blessed by God and it's enjoyable. Uh, let's, let's back up and read those verses so we've got it in our minds. Uh, verse 8, he says, this is chapter 3, verse 8. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called. Right? And what's the this refer back to? The idea of, of when you are, uh, when someone does evil towards you or reviles you, you bless them instead. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing or inherit a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? So, uh, he's been talking about how to live what I call the good life or the blessed life. And he's, he quotes, right, he's looking back to Psalm 34, uh, and where David is talking about uh, what he says in Psalm 34, many are the afflictions of the righteous. But then he also talks about how uh, he says, whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. So he invites them, even though their, their, their life is full of affliction, he invites them to, or he holds out hope for them to enjoy life. Do you want to love your life and look forward to the next day because life is just so sweet? Well, this is, this is, uh, this is a blessing for you as, as God's, God's people. Uh, you should hope for that. You should anticipate that. You should expect that. This is your birthright uh, as a child of God. Uh, okay, so, so Peter has made this point, uh, to this you were called uh, for the, the suffering that you may obtain a blessing. Uh, so I would say that reviling is harmful. Uh, when, when Peter then brings up this question in verse 13, now who is there to harm you? Uh, I would say that that word reviling that he just spoke about us experiencing and spoke of it as a regular part of our lives, I would say reviling is harmful. Uh, maybe we think, well, I don't think that maybe the harm that he has in mind with the next question, verse 13, who is there to harm you? Maybe he doesn't have in mind, he said reviling is a part of our lives, but, but now he's raising the bar a little bit. Now, who is there to actually physically hurt you if you're zealous for good deeds? Maybe he's going to raise that question. Well, you'll at least with your good deeds be able to avoid the physical pain that people would bring on you. Yeah, you might still experience reviling or slander, but really harm, is that really going to come? Well, <laughs> I, I think that the word harm does include reviling. Um, and, uh, but even if we thought Peter might put physical harm in a separate category, uh, that would not be experienced by believers if we're zealous for good deeds. Uh, I think he's ruled that possibility out in chapter 2, verse 20. Uh, remember 220, go back to 220. 
He says, for what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, remember he's talking to slaves under uh, masters that are unbelieving, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure. What credit is there in that? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing, or this is grace, literally. This is grace in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, right? So, so there he's talking about the slaves that are Christians. That's who he's addressing. You slaves... Uh, believing slaves with earthly masters that are unbelieving, uh, make sure that you have holy conduct because you don't want to be you don't want to be beaten for for uh, because you've done something wrong and that the person's responding in that way to your wrongdoing. Now make sure you have holy conduct. But if when you do good and suffer for it, and so then the suffering we expect, what kind of suffering does he have in mind? Probably this seems like this the same thing as beaten. So, but if when you do good and are beaten for it, you endure, this is grace in the sight of God. I hope you can follow all that. Um, so, when Peter raises that question in verse 13, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for good deeds? Will, will there be anyone to harm you? Is he, is he now, after talking about how slaves should anticipate, Christian slaves should anticipate suffering, not, not for their wrongdoing, but suffering even for doing what's right. After talking about how they should anticipate this and that Christians should expect to be reviled and when that happens, they should, they should bless and God has called them to this life. Right Now when he raises this question, will there be anyone to harm you? Or if you do good deeds, I think we might be saying, yeah, actually, you just said that over and over again. Definitely, definitely we'll be harmed. We should expect this, right? But the way he asked the question makes it, he's, we know he's making the point, no, you won't be harmed. So how do we reconcile it? Is he now bringing up a proverbial statement? Well, generally speaking, even though I've said this is a normal part of the Christian life and you all are actually experiencing it, let me just back up a little bit and say proverbially, proverbially, if you do good, you won't be harmed. So I, I find it hard to believe that he's going to bring up that kind of proverbial statement. Though it's true, he would have to give more explanation because he said so much contrary to that. So I don't think that's his point, to bring up a proverbial statement. I think instead what he's saying is that no one, is there anyone who will, really, who will truly harm you if you prove zealous for what's good? And why do I think that? Because in this previous paragraph he said, you're going to be suffering. It's a normal part of the Christian life. You're going to be reviled. You've got to bless, uh, bless others in response. And, and you'll, if you embrace God's will and trust in Him and hope in Him, then you'll live the, a good life. You'll enjoy your life because you'll enjoy God's protection, God teaching you, God comforting you, God carrying you, God using you to accomplish His, his will. And you'll live a satisfying, uh, successful, spiritually successful life. I think that's the point he was making. And so in a sense, what he said in the last paragraph is, Christian, you embrace God's will and hope in Him, you're invincible. That's the point. And that's what the, the people, the, you think of those Christian slaves who were, who were being beaten unjustly. And here Peter holds out hope for them. Hey, this, this enjoyable life where you love life, this is for you. This is normal Christianity. Though things in the world don't seem to be going your way, actually, everything is going your way. And you are of all men most blessed. Does that make sense? And so I think when Peter brings up this question, verse 13, now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? The answer is no one. So the point he's making is if you are zealous for what is good, in other words, if you embrace what I've just said in the last paragraph, <laughs> uh, you will not be harmed. You will not be truly harmed. I think it's Essentially, what Paul says in Romans 8, verse 31, when he asks this question, what then shall we say to these things? Remember this, the question? If God is for us, 
who can be against us, right? And out of context, we would say, well, we know the answer, right, by the way. If God is for us, who can be against us? The answer is no one, right? It's the same, same way he words that question. We know the answer. The point he's making is, since God is for us, no one can be against us, right? But then we go, no one can be against us? I know people who are against us. Uh, and he talks about people later in the chapter who are against us, those that have the sword and, uh, how does he word it? Um, <laughs> later on, you guys remember? Tribulation, distress, um, tribulation, peril, hardship, famine, nakedness, peril, sword, there's one more. Well, sword includes it, that's what he's talking about. Okay, well, that's good enough, okay. Right. Right. So that's the point he's making there that Paul is making. Who can come against us? Well, people can come against us in some sense. And I think that's what Peter is saying. People can harm us in some sense, but not truly. And not successfully. They're not really going to crush us. They're not really doing real harm to us. No, actually, all they can do is be an instrument of blessing. That's amazing, right? Because that's the point Paul's making in Romans 8.31. Right before that, a few verses before that, Romans 8.28, all things, God causes all things to work together or to be synthesized together for our good. So then we love God. We're called according to His will. So everything is working out for our good. So then he says, so in light of these things, uh, since God is for us, no one can be against us. Well, they're against us, but it's actually all going to be synthesized for our good. So... You can't actually harm me. So I really am invincible as a Christian. Uh, yeah, there's pain, but the pain is actually an instrument of blessing for me. So it's not actually harm, right? Uh, and then he keeps on going, like you're saying, uh, we are loved by God in Christ. Who will separate us from this love? No one. And he lists all these things, all these threats, right? We were trying to remember all of them. Uh, and then he says, uh, no, he, he loves us. And um, we are more than conquerors. And it's not just that we cope with difficulties. They become, we don't, we don't just accept them and deal with them and avoid becoming derailed. No, they actually become, they actually better us. We're super conquerors. That's the idea. They're actually stepping stones. Something comes at me and it looks like an obstacle or it looks like a speed bump. I guess I'm, I'm coming to it then. Okay. Because speed bumps don't move usually. I'm moving. So I come to a speed bump, and it looks like it's going to slow me down, but no, actually, come to find out, I'm supposed to be moving up, and perfect time for a speed bump. And that's the way it is with every difficulty in our life. Anyone who comes to persecute us, they can't actually harm us. All they can do is better us. Everything in the universe must bow to God's gospel purposes for us. Everything. Everything is God's servant to do good to us. So that, that's what I think Peter is saying. Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good or if you are zealous for good deeds? No one. Because blessing is inevitable. Because you're in Christ. Because He loves you. Because He's made promises to you. He's always with you. You're safe. You really are safe. Slave with an unbelieving master. You really are safe. It's incredible. It's kind of like we could be wounded, but not destroyed. And the, uh, the Romans mm -hmm. 8 passage ends with, you know, none of these things can separate us from the love of Christ that is ours in Christ Jesus. Nothing, right. nothing can separate us from Him. Right. Yeah. Praise God. And if that's the case, the wounds aren't going to take us. Right. They may hurt, but they're not going to kill us. Right. So we could say, who is there to truly harm you? Who is there to actually harm you? And then he says, on the contrary, if you suffer for righteousness' sake, you're blessed. Right? So that's where he goes with the next verse, right? Verse 14. But even if you should suffer, or on the contrary, even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, well, then are you being harmed? No, on the contrary, you are blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Okay, so those two points that he's making there in 13 and 14 are kind of a preface to what he says in verses, uh, starts in 14, second part of verse 14 down through verse 16. 
And he really gives one, one main command in these verses, and that's in verse 15. Look at verse 15. Uh, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Honor, in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. And other translations have, in your hearts, like, sanctify Christ the Lord, uh, or Christ as Lord, some say. Uh, that word for honor uh, and the word for holy, I'm reading the ESV, and it's got honor Christ as holy. Um, <clears throat> or you could rearrange the words, uh, and the ESV translators would okay this. They, they would say, it's okay, that's what we want, if you said it. But in your hearts, honor as holy Christ the Lord. So honor as holy is the way they've translated one particular word. And the New American Standard and the Legacy Standard they translate it as one word, sanctify. And uh, sanctify is normally the way that you would translate that word throughout the New Testament. Uh, and sanctify, as you know, means to make holy, to make holy. But see, the ESV translators didn't like the idea that, give the impression we're trying to make Christ holy. They say, what, what, what is he really talking about when he says make Christ holy? Well, he's talking about honoring him as holy. That's the idea. So they gave the, the sense of the word, but it's not as literal. Does that make sense? That makes sense. All right. Uh, <clears throat> so it's honoring or sanctifying Christ as Lord. <clears throat> and he tells them to do that in contrast to, end of verse 14, have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Have no fear of them, those that would make you suffer for righteousness' sake. Don't fear them. Don't be troubled. Instead, in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, or set Christ apart as holy, as unique, as ultimate. <clears throat> so in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, says in verse 15, and then he proceeds to elaborate on this command. In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared, right? So always being prepared is actually uh, giving further description of honor, or sanctify Christ. Sanctify, always being prepared to make a defense. So he's elaborating on that idea. This is what I'm talking about. This is what it means that you would set apart Christ or sanctify Him. You would uh, always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Uh, so that's the heart of the passage. Uh, it's to honor or sanctify Christ as Lord in contrast with fearing other people and other things. Um, and uh, then the last verse uh, comes in verse 17. Uh, he, gives a little, he gives a concluding remark. For it is better to suffer for doing good. I didn't read verse 16. Okay, verse 16. Having a good conscience. That's still elaborating on honor Christ the Lord is holy. Having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. And then verse 17 gives one concluding remark. Uh, and it actually ties, ties it in with the, with the first part of the paragraph, where it's better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. So this passage is supremely about sanctifying Christ, uh, and the exhortation to do so is in the context of suffering for doing good. So we've got to be clear, then, on what it means to honor Christ the Lord as holy or to sanctify Christ as Lord uh, in our hearts. Uh, so that word sanctify uh, oftentimes is translated as to make holy, and sometimes it's translated as sanctify. Uh, it means, we know what, what to, to make holy means. It means to set apart. Uh, when, when God makes us holy in salvation, he, makes us, uh, he sets us apart from the world and from sin, and he sets us apart unto himself. Um, and uh, so Peter is saying, make Christ holy. Uh, but make Christ holy, well, how do we do that? Well, we're not changing anything about Christ uh, himself, but we're changing uh, in our hearts what we think about Christ. So we make Christ holy in our hearts. So, uh, or set Christ apart as Lord in your heart. So it means that you are to put Christ on the pedestal in your heart, at, in the, at the pinnacle in your heart. You're to elevate Christ in your heart, it means don't put Christ, in your heart, don't put Christ on the same level as you put yourself or the same level you put your spouse or the same level you put your friends 
or your enemies. Uh, don't put him at the same level. Put him higher than, than all else. Uh, certainly don't put him on a lower level than your spouse or your friends or your possessions. Uh, wanting to please them more than you want to please him. Or being more afraid of them than you are of him. No, keep him at the pinnacle, at the highest place in your heart. Regard him as unique without peer or, or, or arrival. Uh, put him in a category all by himself. The highest place, the greatest treasure, the richest treasure, your most cherished prize above everything else in the world. He is it. That's what these suffering believers needed to do. That, I think, is the main thing he's telling them to do in the whole book, the main command. It is to cherish Christ and treasure him. And that's how they would make it through suffering. And that's how we will make it through suffering. Uh, and that's it. It's the most important task. It's the most important task that you have today. Uh, we've failed today if we have not, if he is not at the pinnacle in our hearts as our greatest treasure. I mean, just think about that. When we come for worship on Sunday and we sing those songs and we fellowship with one another and we hear teaching, if we go away and Christ is not the highest place in our hearts, then what are we doing? We're missing it. That's it. And Peter knew what this was like. Remember, Peter took his eyes off of Christ when he was out on the water. Peter feared the storm and the water, and he put those things in the highest place. He took his eyes off of Christ, and it was painful. And we could put things at a higher place. We could, we could treasure success in our lives above all, fearing not having success. That's the most important thing. We wake up in the morning, and the first thing we think about is success. I've got to make sure I'm successful. We could treasure our job above all else. We could set apart pleasure and comfort as the supreme thing, the thing that takes the most sacrifice or is most worthy of our sacrifice, <coughs> our pleasure and comfort. Some, we could treasure position, some position, so respect of others. So Peter is admonishing us to do uh, what he failed to do. He, of course, failed to honor Christ as supremely worthy of his affection and loyalty when he denied Christ. And uh, so when Peter says this, he's not speaking uh, in a condescending way, right? He's speaking from a position of pain. It's painful for him. But he's saying, brothers and sisters, this is the path forward. This is how you make it through things like that. This is how you answer questions, even from a little girl, when you would be ashamed. This is the only way you will do it. You, you treasure him above all. You're loyal to him above all. He is the great one. And Peter is saying, of course, he really is worthy of this place. It's not a little mind game. It's not a little trick to get you through. I mean, if you're fearful of other people and ashamed, you're not properly assessing the worth of Christ. He really is worthy. We really should be without fear because he really is that great. Because he really has been exalted to the Father's right hand. And everything is being put in subjection under him. We really shouldn't fear. I like the word hallow. Uh, I, would, I would probably, if I had translated this, use the word hallow, even though it's a little bit strange, right? Uh, But because, I, I, I would say that because this word is used differently than most of the times when we read it. We think of sanctify as growing in our sanctification, right? Becoming more holy practically our, ourselves or helping other people do that. But, uh, so this is interesting to talk about in our hearts, exalting Christ. And so I would use the word hallow. We slow down and we go, hallow? 
But we are used to the word because it's ingrained in our English culture because of the translation of uh, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Same word. Hallowed be your name. Um, Bow before him in reverence. Love him above all. Treasure him. Give your allegiance to him above all. Your loyalty to him. Make sacrifices for him. Fear him above all. Right? So many different words and ideas that are included in that. What's also awesome about this is Peter is quoting from Isaiah chapter 8. When he says this, there's some quote. Part of it he's alluding, but it's kind of like an allusion. It's kind of like a loose quote, but most of the words are actually quotation from Isaiah 8, verses 12 and 13. And verse 14, um, he quoted earlier, chapter 2. When he, well, we'll read it. Let's look at, let's look at the passage together. Uh, go to Isaiah chapter 8, verse 12. I'm not even going to get to any of those points in the back side, back side of the sheet. I didn't totally believe I would, so just so you know. Uh, chapter, Isaiah 8, verse 12. Uh, you are not to say, it is a conspiracy in regard to all that this people call a conspiracy. And you are not to fear what they fear, and you shall not tremble. It is Yahweh of hosts whom you should regard as holy, and he shall be your fear, and he shall be your cause of trembling. Then he shall become a sanctuary. But to both the houses of Israel, a stone to strike and a rock to stumble over, and a snare and a trap for the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So did you recognize in verse 14, the second part of it? But to both the houses of Israel, a stone to strike and a rock to stumble over? That was 1 Peter chapter 2. Yeah. So I just love when I go through the, find the scripture writer, and he's been meditating on these texts. And they come out, just like when we talk. If we've been meditating on a passage of scripture, inevitably it comes out in conversation. And it forms our thinking. And when I think about the doctor of inspiration, how... Uh, God used the words of the human author, but he's carrying them along so that in the end, their words are the very breath of God. But how does he get the breath out on the page? He uses the meditations of Peter that morning when he had his cup of coffee and was eating his bacon. Uh, and he was... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's begging. He's enjoying his freedom. <laughs> so he's like, let me think for a little bit about Psalm 34. Let me think for a little bit about Isaiah 8. Oh, man, these believers, my brothers and sisters in Asia, this is what they need. Honey, where's my pen? Right? And he wants to write this stuff down. He wants to get it to him. Just Awesome. So, you're not to say it is a conspiracy in regard to all that this people call a conspiracy. <laughs> so, part of putting Christ at the pinnacle of our hearts is we stop being obsessed with com- conspiracies. We're afraid of everything. And that's why I like these things that Chris says sometimes. You don't need to keep watching the news all the time. You don't have to be up on the latest things, researching. Oh, this is, did you hear this could be this? You go research. and re- You can spend weeks and months and be obsessed with all these things. Who cares? Who cares? The Lord is the Lord. He's sovereign. Just rest and relax. Let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. And then he will be your sanctuary. It's awesome. So that's what Peter's saying. That's what you need to do. But it's awesome, though, isn't it? He's referring to Jesus. In the Old Testament, if you read from the legacy standard, it is Yahweh of hosts whom you should regard as holy. Peter comes along and says, you sanctify Christ. He's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ as holy. Right? He is Yahweh. Right? So this is one of those uh, neat passages to, to take someone to if they don't believe in the deity of Christ. No, he is Yahweh, like what Peter says. Um, so, all right, I'm going to stop there. Um, I haven't talked about how to do it. 
how to set apart Christ as Lord in your hearts. So I'll say right now, go look for all the things that you're inclined to treasure the most and make a list of those. As you're driving home, if it's quiet in the car, Lord, help me think of all the things I treasure. I'm driving. Um, all the things I'm afraid of. All the things I sacrifice for. All the things that are so painful to lose. And then just take every one of those and say, Lord, this is nothing. I don't need this if I have you. And grab the next thing. Lord, I don't need this. You could take it away. Take it away. I don't need it. I have you. You love me. You're the king. You're my savior. You're everything to me. Right? And just treasure him and, and, and do this. Do this all the way home. Spend time doing this today. Um, I can remember... Oh, I better... Okay, I'm going to have to do the, use the illustration next week. I'm going to pray because time is up. I could just go on and on. You know me. <laughs> okay. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. You, you uh, tell us that we should exalt your son in our hearts, that we should magnify him, that we should love him and treasure him above all. And we confess to you that we do not do this, that we are fearful people, that we do make sacrifices a lot for things that are not worthy of, of that kind of affection. And, and really, we're belittling your son. We confess to you our sin. Please forgive us for not counting your son as most precious As he is most precious to you. And um, you're, not telling, you're not telling people with hearts of stone to love your son. You're telling us, your people, he is, he is accessible to us. We were saved to delight in him. And so, with those promises, with that assurance, we, we want to chase after him. Would you please help us to delight in the Lord Jesus Christ today, to love him and to treasure him? Because he is worthy. And we pray this in his name. Amen.